This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome. I'm Frank Lavallo and this is Novel Conversations. Today I'm going to have a conversation about the novel Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And I'm joined in my conversation today by our Novel Conversations readers, Jennifer Weinbrecht and Pat Fernberg. Jennifer, Pat, welcome. Hi, Frank. Hello. Before we get started on our conversation today, let me read you a quick summary that I tried to write of this novel, and then I'm going to read you a summary that Jane Austen wrote of her novel, and I'll let you guys decide which one you think is better. Oh, no. (laughs) Set in the English countryside of the early 1800s, the novel starts with the news that a wealthy young gentleman has rented the manor of Netherfield Park, and that news causes quite a stir in the nearby village of Longburn, especially in the Bennett household. The Bennetts have five unmarried daughters, and Mrs. Bennett is desperate to see them all married. The Bennetts attend a ball at the manor where most of the main characters are introduced to us and to each other. Within a year of that ball, three of the sisters are married or engaged to be married. How these and other relationships start, falter, and then ultimately survive first misimpressions, meddling families, and the social conventions of the time make up the story of Pride and Prejudice. Jennifer, that took me about eight lines to try to summarize a 350-page story. How'd I do? Not bad. Pat? I think that's pretty well on it. Well, thanks for that, but let me read to you how Jane Austen sums up her story, and she does it all in one sentence. It's the very first sentence. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Hands down, Jane Austen wins. (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling you would say that, and I got to agree with you. Jennifer, I know you've read this book many, many times, but can you remember one of the first times you read it and how it impressed you? When I was about 13, I think I read this book for the first time, and I got to the end of the book, and I couldn't believe that some of the characters would do some of the things that they did. I had to go back and reread the book immediately to find out how these things could have happened. And then the second read, I saw all sorts of things in the book that I didn't see the first time. That's absolutely been my experience with the book as well. I always go into Jane Austen with a little bit of trepidation, wondering why I agreed to read her. And every (laughs) time I read her, I enjoy it immensely and as well find a lot of new and interesting things in her works. Pat, how about your history with the novel Pride and Prejudice? Well, I was a bored 10-year-old on summer vacation, and my mother couldn't stand seeing her kids idle. So she walked over and she handed me a book and she said, read this. I think you'll like it. The heroine's a lot like you. She loves to read and she's dark haired. And I thought, wow, cool. Well, I read it and I thought, this is great. And I had only read it for the plot. It was an interesting story. But every year after that, at least once or twice a year, I'd pick it up on my own. And I'd always find, as you said, something new. It was like meeting the characters again or meeting a best friend again and again and again. And every time you meet them, it renews your relationship with them and deepens it. What about the men in the novel? Were there any of the men that you could identify with? I know you were a 10-year-old girl, but any of the men make good first impressions for you? I felt very sorry for Mr. Wickham. I couldn't believe that he really meant to be mean. What a naive kid. And I was fascinated by Mr. Darcy because he was so remote. The thing that struck me was the fact that he has such a hard time expressing himself. See, I didn't like Mr. Darcy at all. I just thought he was rude and arrogant, and that was my problem with the book. I got to the end, and I said, there's no way Elizabeth could fall in love with him and marry him. This is terrible. You know, I identified so strongly with Elizabeth because you see everything through her eyes. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, was there any other man, though, that impressed you in your earlier readings? I was probably most impressed with Mr. Collins in my earlier readings. (laughs) 
I thought, I probably know some guys like this. They think that <laughs> girls are just waiting for any old guy to come up and hit on him. Pat, the way you're laughing, I'm guessing you don't agree as an adult reader with that. I remember reading the parts with Mr. Collins and being just appalled that he was allowed to run loose. <laughs> I really liked Mr. Bennett, but I think I appreciated him more as I became a parent. I got to tell you, Mr. Bennett is clearly my favorite oh, character, yes. male or female. <laughs> Now, Pat, Jennifer, we just threw out a bunch of names, Mr. Collins, Mr. Bennett, and of course, we haven't introduced any of these characters to our listeners. So I think right now that what we'll do is we'll start our story the way Jane Austen starts her story, by introducing the Bennetts, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett and their five daughters. At the very beginning of the book, we have a conversation between Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, where Mrs. Bennett is informing Mr. Bennett that there's a new young man in the neighborhood, and it would just be wonderful for their girls if he would go and visit him. And she's really planning to have this young man marry one of their daughters. And this is before she's seen him, met him. All she knows about him is he's rented a nice manor and he might have a lot of money. Right. But Mrs. Bennett has a reason to feel this way because in the early 1800s among the gentry in England, this is the only way for a young woman to have a living or have a life, is to find a husband. And with five daughters, they really need to get on with this. So Mrs. Bennett is intent on finding a husband for her daughters, as she should be. But we find out in this early conversation that she's quite a silly person, and her husband enjoys making fun of her. He tells her there's no way he's going to bother calling on this guy, when in fact, he really already has. He already has. Pat, who is this guy that Mr. Bennett just met at Netherfield Park? This guy is Charles Bingley. Charles Bingley's father made his fortune in commerce. And now the father has died and Charles has inherited this money. And the first thing he wants to do is to buy a house. And because his money was inherited and not made in commerce, Mr. Bingley's a gentleman. Yes, he is a gentleman, although he doesn't have the same distinguished background as a lot of people would like. But he has 4,000 pounds a year free and clear. He's a wealthy young man. According to Jane Austen, Mr. Bingley was good-looking and gentlemanlike. He had a pleasant countenance and easy, unaffected manners. He likes everybody and everybody likes him. There's nothing to dislike about him. Now, Mr. Bennett's news is not only that he's now met Charles Bingley. Yes, there's going to be a large dance. And actually, Jennifer, it's at the ball that we finally meet some of the Bennett daughters, as well as a couple of the main male characters in our novel. Yes, we find out here that Jane, the oldest sister, is one of the most beautiful women in the neighborhood. And we find that out partly because she's chosen by Mr. Bingley for two dances, which is a little bit scandalous for the first time they, they meet. We also find out that Elizabeth, the second daughter, has a great sense of humor and bounces back from an insult. That insult is important and sets the stage for the rest of the novel, actually, with her relationship with Mr. Darcy. Who's Mr. Darcy? Mr. Darcy, Mr. Bingley's very rich and handsome friend. They're old college buddies. The two of them are very close. They're so close that Mr. Darcy, who is much richer, much more handsome, and much more influential than Charles, is willing to put up with Charles's sisters. In point of fact, though, we hear about Jane, but we really get to see and know Elizabeth. And it really starts with this perceived insult to Elizabeth by Mr. Darcy. Yes, Mr. Bingley sees Mr. Darcy standing around looking snobbish, and he comes up and urges him to dance. Prideful, I think, is the word they use. <laughs> well, he actually says, I hate to see you standing about by yourself in this stupid manner. You had much better dance. And Mr. Darcy tells him, I certainly shall not. You know how I detest it, unless I am particularly acquainted with my partner. At such an assembly as this, it would be insupportable. And then he says, there's not another woman in the room whom it would not be a punishment to me to stand up with. And Mr. Bingley says, you know, I'm dancing with Miss Bennett, and you're right, she is beautiful. But look, there's another sister that she has over here, and she's very pretty too. 
And Mr. Darcy actually turns and looks at Elizabeth, catches her eye, and then he says, she is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. And I am in no humor at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. And he makes no effort to hide his disdain from Elizabeth. Well, she overhears this. And what's great about Elizabeth, we find out right there that she's got so much courage and she has such a great sense of humor because instead of being upset about this or going off in a corner and crying, she goes right away over to her friend and tells her the story. She just thinks it's funny. Pat, it's really a thoroughly modern reaction. It is. She's not going to let anybody intimidate her, and especially this stranger who thinks he's so important. In Mr. Darcy's defense... He is so wealthy that every woman and her mother hit on him. And he just really doesn't want to deal with one more girl being shoved at him. Not that he knows this is Elizabeth's plan, but he can assume that this is what every woman has on her mind. After all, a man with a fortune must want to be married. That's right. He's got that (laughs) assumption. (laughs) And he actually offends the whole neighborhood because he is so rude throughout the evening. He has a lot of pride and he thinks he's above the people in this neighborhood. The story of his put-down of Elizabeth makes the rounds of this ball faster than some of the dancers. Oh, yes. And also the fact that he sat next to Mrs. Long for half an hour and didn't speak to her. And, you know, he was rude. Well, not only that, but Mrs. Bennett fans the flames. First of all, she sees her hope of a possible matchup here being drained away. And second, she's just offended that it happened publicly because it's basically a rejection of all of them. And Mr. Bingley's sisters are also quite snobbish, and we learn that at this ball. But Jane is so sweet that she doesn't recognize this. She's obviously very taken with Mr. Bingley, and she even excuses his sisters, and she tells Elizabeth after the ball, they are very pleasing women when you converse with them, and Elizabeth isn't buying it. That's right. Coming out of the ball, the only relationship that's going forward is the relationship between Jane and Mr. Bingley. There is no Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth. No. No. Not at this time. No. But that's about to change. Well, how does that change? Well, as they are in this social world, Mr. Darcy very quickly becomes a little bit infatuated with Elizabeth. He doesn't show it. Do we know this as a reader? Yes, we do, because Miss Bingley, who is one of these people obviously chasing this man around and hoping to capture him, comes up to Mr. Darcy to try to have a conversation with him, and he actually tells her that he's been thinking about Elizabeth's fine eyes. And, of course, Miss Bingley, Charles's sister Caroline, jumps into it and immediately says, well, when can I congratulate you on your forthcoming marriage? You, know, you admire her eyes. I suppose you'll love her family, too, including her really disgusting mother. In fact, it's Miss Bingley who first brings it to our attention that she sees something change in Mr. Darcy. She's the first one to realize there may, in fact, be something between Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth. Yeah, she's very jealous. So she's not going to be a good friend for Elizabeth. No. When the biggest matrimonial prize on the market is in front of her, she's not about to let anybody get in her way. In fact, a few days after the ball, Jane is invited to Netherfield Park. Now, Mrs. Bennett, the shrewd woman that she is, suggests that Jane take the horse and not the carriage because Mrs. Bennett knows it's going to rain and she's hoping maybe Jane will be delayed at Netherfield Park because of the weather and unable to come back that same night. Well, of course, Jane takes the horse. It does rain, but she's not just delayed. She catches cold and now has to stay at Netherfield Park for about a week. So Elizabeth decides she's going to Netherfield Park to visit her sister and take care of her. And this is where we really learn a lot about Miss Bingley. She's jealous of Elizabeth, and she's not very happy with Jane going after her brother. She observes Mr. Darcy's attention to Elizabeth. In one particularly funny scene, he's writing a letter to his sister, and Miss Bingley keeps interrupting him the whole time, and he just blows her off. But when Elizabeth says something, he puts down his pen and looks. 
and starts talking. So this is really bad for Miss Bingley. And at one point, he even comes to Elizabeth's defense when she extols the virtues of reading. Elizabeth is reading a book while the others are playing cards. And Miss Bingley goes on for a few minutes about what it takes to be an accomplished woman, obviously trying to put down Elizabeth. And at the end, Mr. Darcy says, yes, and she should read, too. Of course, then as time passes, Jane recovers, and both Jane and Elizabeth go back home to Longbourn. Just in time, actually, to meet a distant cousin, Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins is a distant cousin of Mr. Bennett, and he is going to inherit Longbourn, the Bennett family home. He's the male heir. Yes. He is a clergyman, and he feels a little guilty about all this, so he decides to come and sort of patch things up. But not guilty enough to renounce all rights to the entailed estate. No, but he's been told that he ought to marry, and figuring, there are five girls, if I marry one of the girls, we'll patch things up that way. And for Mr. Collins, this is logical. He tells Mr. Bennett, I can unite the two families, and we'll take off the entailed estate. Exactly. Does that work out, though? Well, no. Partially because Mr. Collins is not terribly bright. Obsequious is the word they Very use about obsequious. him. Very obsequious. And he also is not discriminating. He doesn't care which of the five daughters he marries. Right. First, he wants to marry Jane. Then he's told, well, Jane might be engaged to Mr. Bingley. But we've got a second daughter. And she looks good to him. Jennifer, how does Elizabeth feel about this possibility? Oh, Elizabeth is rather horrified. Elizabeth is so much like her father with wit and humor, and she's very intelligent. And this man is just a ridiculous mate for her. There's no way this is going to happen. Elizabeth might be horrified, but Mrs. Bennett is thinking two for two. Right. (laughs) But before there can be any proposals, the two youngest sisters want to go to town because... The officers are there. What officers? The militias in town. And this is where we're actually finally introduced to the final three sisters, Lydia, Kitty, and Mary. Right. Kitty is two years older than Lydia, but she follows everything Lydia does. And Lydia has got a tremendous amount of energy, and she is just dying to meet these cute guys. And we meet a couple of soldiers. This is where we meet our final male character of the novel, Mr. Wickham. Mr. Wickham has just recently joined the militia. He's been talked into it by his buddy. And immediately there's a little spark of connection between Elizabeth and Wickham. But as they're talking to him, as they're first being introduced to him, Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy come up on horses. And they stop right away because Mr. Bingley has to make sure that Jane is okay and fully recovered from her cold. And during this introduction, Mr. Darcy and Mr. Wickham have a very strange reaction to each other. It's clear from the meeting that they know each other. They know each other and don't seem to like each other. So this is a mystery for Elizabeth, and Elizabeth can't stand a mystery. She's going to get to the bottom of this. And it's after meeting Mr. Wickham that the Bennett girls go to their aunt's house in town and decide to have a little party, of course inviting Mr. Wickham. And during this party, Elizabeth gets to the bottom of the mystery. Yes, Mr. Wickham sits next to Elizabeth and starts talking to her right away. And he tells her that he was the son of the late Mr. Darcy Stewart, and he was a favorite. He tells Elizabeth he was given a living in the father's will, but that Mr. Darcy did not follow through. And the story that Wickham tells basically confirms Elizabeth's first misimpressions of Mr. Darcy anyway. Yes, that he's arrogant, that he's selfish, that he's mean. And besides, this guy obviously likes her, and Mr. Darcy has slammed her (laughs) at first meeting. But wait now, we've forgotten about Mr. Collins. No, we haven't. (laughs) Mr. Collins is in wait. Mr. Collins wants a wife. Yes. He's determined to ask Elizabeth to marry him. And he does it the very next day. It has to be the funniest and the most appalling proposal on record. Do you have a line or two to read for us? Oh, yes. My reasons for marrying are, first, that I think it a right thing for every clergyman in easy circumstances like myself to set an example of matrimony in the parish. Secondly, 
that I am convinced it will add greatly to my happiness, and thirdly, which perhaps I ought to have mentioned earlier, that it is the particular advice and recommendation of the very noble lady whom I have the honor of calling patroness. And he's willing to accept the fact that while she has a sense of humor and while she's very bright and independent, he's sure that his boss, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, will not object. But Elizabeth objects. Oh, she's horrified. Elizabeth has this silly man in front of her making these long speeches, and finally she interrupts him because he just won't stop. And she says, you are too hasty, sir. You forget that I have made no answer. Let me do it without further loss of time. Accept my thanks for the compliment you are paying me, but it is impossible for me to do otherwise than decline it. And how do her parents react? Oh, her mother finds out that she's refused Mr. Collins, and her mother says, your father's going to talk some sense into you. And does Mr. Bennett make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins? Well, he calls her into his library, and he says... This is a great line. Go ahead. He says to his daughter, An unhappy alternative is before you, Elizabeth. From this day you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Your mother will never see you if you do not marry Mr. Collins, and I will never see you again if you do. Very good, Mr. Bennett. But Mr. Collins must marry, and he must marry now. Well, Elizabeth has a close friend, Charlotte Lucas, who drops in to visit, and Mr. Collins... Once again... Once again, changes his admiration from Elizabeth to Charlotte. Well, there's also the fact that Charlotte hears about this from Elizabeth's sisters, who are running out of the house laughing about it. And, as Jane Austen says, she went down to meet him accidentally in the lane. Charlotte is 27. She's got to get married because she comes from a large family, and her chances are nil. Elizabeth's feelings are hurt by this because she knows that her best friend is very sensible and intelligent person, and she feels that she's really throwing herself away on this silly man. Charlotte explains to her that she's not romantic. She's kind of at her last chance here, and she knows that he's not going to be abusive. She knows that she's going to have a good living, and she's going to make it work. Okay, Jennifer and Pat, we married off Mr. Collins to Charlotte. They leave to head home. But what about our Bennett sisters? Any marriages coming up? Well, it certainly looks like Jane and Mr. Bingley are going to get married, but then things kind of fall apart. What happens? Jane receives a letter from Caroline Bingley saying that Charles has decided to give up Netherfield, And they're all going back to London. They're not coming back. And Jane had no idea of this. No. No, And what's even worse is Caroline hints very strongly in this letter that they're very glad they're going to meet up with Mr. Darcy's little sister again and that she has fond hopes of Mr. Darcy's little sister being united someday with her brother in marriage. So Miss Bingley not only wants to marry Mr. Darcy, she wants to marry her brother off to Mr. Darcy's sister. That'll cement things. That'll cement 10,000 things. (laughs) This makes Jane feel really bad. She's heartbroken. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. And how is Jane going to get over this heartbreak? Her aunt in London invites Jane to come and stay with them for a while. And there's also the little hope that Elizabeth has, and certainly her mother, that Jane and Charles Bingley will run into each other in town. And how's the relationship going between Elizabeth and Mr. Wickham? Mr. Wickham is still flirting with Elizabeth. He's still around. But despite this ongoing relationship, Elizabeth decides she might want to leave town for a little while as well. Charlotte invites Elizabeth to come and visit her in her new home with Mr. Collins. 
And she's rather curious to see what it's like there. She's also learned that Lady Catherine de Bourgh is Mr. Darcy's aunt. And who is Lady Catherine de Bourgh? Lady Catherine de Bourgh is kind of like Mr. Collins's boss. She owns the estate where his church is that he preaches at. And in fact, this is the titled woman that had suggested very strongly that Mr. Collins needed to be married and he needed to be married now. Yes. Which, of course, he obeyed. Absolutely. (laughs) So Elizabeth goes to visit Charlotte and Mr. Collins. Well, it turns out that Charlotte is not as miserable as Elizabeth expected her to be. She's worked things out very well. And within a few days, much to Elizabeth's surprise, Lady Catherine's two nephews, Mr. Darcy and Colonel Fitzwilliam, show up at the estate. They're staying for the Easter holiday. And Mr. Darcy had no idea that Elizabeth was also in town. No, but they can't stop running into each other. By accident or on purpose? Elizabeth goes out of her way to tell Mr. Darcy where she walks because she knows he doesn't like her, and she can't believe it. He keeps showing up those places anyway. She's telling him where she's going to walk so he'll stay away from her, and yet he keeps showing up. But he doesn't talk. No, but his cousin is a charming man. This is Colonel Fitzwilliam. Colonel Fitzwilliam. And he flirts a little bit with Elizabeth. And she likes him because he's nice and he's pleasant. He's just the opposite of his cousin. Charlotte begins to get the idea that maybe Mr. Darcy is in love with Elizabeth, but Elizabeth doesn't think so. Well, Elizabeth knows better. Yeah, she knows. She and Colonel Fitzwilliam are taking a walk, and Colonel Fitzwilliam's let's drop, you know, rather smugly that Mr. Darcy has taken care of an unfortunate problem for Charles Bingley. He's helped to disconnect connect Charles from an unsuitable marriage, which would be Jane. Elizabeth is horrified. One more strike against Mr. Darcy. So Elizabeth is dwelling on this when he walks in. Mr. Darcy. He's agitated and he's anxious and he's pacing the room and all of a sudden he blurts out a proposal. He proposes to Elizabeth. He proposes to Elizabeth, but in the manner of Mr. Collins. He enumerates that he's proposing to her against his own better judgment, the wishes of his family and friends, and against reason entirely. And we thought Mr. Collins made a bad proposal. It's an embarrassing one. She tells him that if he were the last man on earth, she would not marry him. And she points out that he has not behaved like a gentleman. So she sends him packing, and he's enraged. And yet? And yet. The next morning, as she's taking a walk, she runs into Mr. Darcy. Yet again. Yet again, and he simply hands her a letter and says, please read it, and walks away. She probably can't wait to read this letter. She's not expecting anything nice out of this letter. But was the letter nice? The letter is interesting because he starts off very formally. You can tell it's in the heat of anger. And he lays his case out for her and says, you be the judge of what kind of man I am. But these are the facts. He talks about the fact that Jane always appeared to him to not be very much in love with Bingley, and he really thought she was a fortune seeker. He really was looking out for the feelings of his good friend. He also mentions that his objections are the fact that the family is just out of control. That mother's crazy. The mother is crazy. The sister has no self-discipline. Even the father is just rude. And Elizabeth is still rather angry when she's reading this first part of the letter. But as she thinks about it later, she's got to admit that her family has been acting inappropriately and that Jane doesn't show her feelings very openly. And someone who doesn't know Jane the way she does might not realize that Jane was deeply in love with Mr. Bingley. And you ain't seen nothing yet. No, then he gets to Wickham. Wickham ran through his inheritance. He keeps coming back to Darcy saying, well, I think I want to go into the clergy. I think I want to go into the law. And Darcy has given him money to go into these professions. And Wickham just blows the money on fast living and fast women. But it wasn't the money that broke the relationship between Wickham and Mr. Darcy. No. When Mr. Darcy wouldn't give Wickham any more money, Wickham tried a new strategy. He tried to elope with Mr. Darcy's 15-year-old little sister. 
and he almost succeeded. I'm surprised there wasn't a duel. Well, that would have called attention to things. But Mr. Darcy refers Elizabeth for the details of this to his cousin, Colonel Fitzwilliam. He's the only other person who knows this secret. So Elizabeth believes it absolutely must be true, or he wouldn't tell her that. But Mr. Darcy tells her that he has kept the secret, and he trusts her that she will keep the secret. He doesn't want to damage his sister's reputation. This is some amazing letter. How does Elizabeth finally react to it? She has to keep rereading the letter because she can't quite absorb all this information. And then she begins to feel better toward Mr. Darcy. And she says she grew absolutely ashamed of herself. Of neither Darcy nor Wickham could she think without feeling that she had been blind, partial, prejudiced, and absurd. And she says, till this moment, I never knew myself. And it sort of gives us our title, doesn't it? I mean, she was proud of her prejudice for a while. She really was. Well, after she digests this letter, how does she leave it with Mr. Darcy? Well, Darcy and Fitzwilliam have gone home, and it's time for her to go home. Her visit is at an end. And is that what she does, goes home? She does. Now, is Jane still in London, or has she come home as well? Jane has come home as well. And Elizabeth confides in Jane that Mr. Darcy proposed to her, and Mr. Wickham is really a bad person. And they decide between themselves not to tell anyone. They're not going to tell anyone, but we have not seen or heard the last of Mr. Wickham. No, we haven't. No. His regiment has moved on to Brighton. And Lydia wants to go, too. She thinks about sea bathing and being at this camp full of men. And she asks her parents if the whole family will go. They don't. But luckily, she's invited by the wife of the colonel of Wickham's regiment to go with them to Brighton. And crazy Mrs. Bennett's okay with her 15-year-old daughter being essentially a troop follower. That's right. It's an opportunity for her to have fun. The mother is a little bit envious of this. She would have loved to have gone... And the father has initially put his foot down and then decides it would be better if she embarrassed herself elsewhere, no expense to him. So he lets her go, and Elizabeth warns him that Lydia is uncontrolled, there are too many men in uniform, and... Only bad things can happen. Bad things can happen. Lydia's a determined flirt. But Pat, Lydia's not the only one who's invited on another vacation. That's right. Elizabeth is invited by her aunt and uncle to go on a trip up north with them. They're going to spend a lot of time in Derbyshire, which is the home county of Mr. Darcy. And in fact, on this tour, they visit the very fine country home of Mr. Darcy. Pemberley. Tell me about Pemberley. Pemberley is a beautiful estate. And Elizabeth is thinking all the time, I could have been mistress of this place. She stands in front of Mr. Darcy's portrait and thinks, he doesn't look so bad in this picture. He's got a nice smile on his face. And during this tour, she has an interesting conversation with the housekeeper for Mr. Darcy. Darcy is away from home, but he'll be back in a few days, she says. And in the meantime, they see a case with portraits. One of them is Wickham. When she mentions to the housekeeper, we know this person, the housekeeper says, oh yes, he's gone into the army and he's very wild. She lets Elizabeth know that Wickham is a disappointment. And then she sees the picture of Mr. Darcy and the housekeeper can't stop raving about he is kind to everyone in the community. He is generous. He is sunny-tempered. He adores his sister. There's nothing he wouldn't do for anyone. She's known him since he was four years old and never heard a cross word from him. Which, of course, the aunt and uncle, who still have all the previous information, can't quite believe this. And Elizabeth doesn't know how to explain to them that what they think they know about Darcy and Wickham is not necessarily the truth. And certainly to hear this kind of information from essentially a servant right. really has import for Elizabeth. She knows that servants aren't always necessarily complimentary to their employers. Right. But then, as they're walking across the lawn of the estate, 
Mr. Darcy comes around the corner. No one has expected him. And he runs smack into Elizabeth. And they both stand there, grasping for words, red-faced, very embarrassed. And it really doesn't go very well this morning. No, no. But he runs into the house, and she figures, well, that's the last I'll see of him. And then she and her aunt and uncle are going for a walk in the park, and here he comes. He's changed his clothes, gotten refreshed from his journey, and walks up and introduces himself. He's very polite, and he's very nice, and he invites her uncle to come and fish on the estate while they're staying in the neighborhood. And this is a man who initially would never introduce himself to anyone he didn't know. Oh, no. And here he is putting himself out for Elizabeth's aunt and uncle. And inquiring about her family, no smart remarks, and just being generous and open and very much in his own element. And he wants to know if he can introduce his sister to Elizabeth while they're in the area, which is a great compliment to Elizabeth. They're also invited to dinner the next day. At Pemberley. At Pemberley. And when they visit Pemberley, the Bingleys are there, Mr. Bingley and his sisters. And it's obvious from some of the questions that Mr. Bingley is asking Elizabeth, he's still thinking about Jane. So it's a very positive visit. And Elizabeth is thinking, maybe Mr. Darcy is still in love with me. And she's not sure how she feels. But another letter. It's a letter to Elizabeth from her sister Jane telling her that Lydia has run off with Wickham. Lydia thinks it's a wonderful adventure, and Jane is begging Elizabeth to turn around and come home now. And bring her Uncle Gardner back so that perhaps the uncle can help the father find them in London. And Mr. Darcy walks in on her while she's reading these letters. Does she tell him what's in the letters? She tells him what's happened. It's actually quite touching. He wants to do something for her. Can I get you something? He sends the servant after her uncle and aunt. And he makes some vague statements like, I wish there was something I could say that would make this better. And then he leaves. And then Elizabeth thinks, he'll never have anything to do with me now. This really is a crazy family. And at this moment, she realizes, I do love him. (laughs) But then they all go home. When she gets home, the father has gone to London to look for Lydia and Wickham. Does he come home with Lydia? No. He comes home alone. He has no idea where they are. Mr. Gardner is going to continue looking for them. He's blaming himself, but not much. (laughs) Well, he's making some jokes. That's how he handles life. He makes a joke out of things. He's aware that he's done a bad job as a father. Yeah, he also acknowledges to Elizabeth that she was quite right when she told him, don't let Lydia go. Right, he gives her an opportunity to say, I told you so. Of course, she Mm -hmm. doesn't take the opportunity being the nice girl that she is. How does this get resolved with Lydia and Wickham? Soon after, they receive a letter from Mr. Gardner saying, Their uncle. I found Lydia and Wickham. They're in London. We've managed to persuade them to get married. It cost us... A lot of money. And Mr. Bennett feels that it's going to be very difficult for him to repay this. But Mrs. Bennett is thrilled. She's so excited to finally have a daughter married, and she's all excited about the wedding clothes. And Lydia lets slip in a conversation that Mr. Darcy was at their wedding. Considering how Darcy and Wickham hate each other, this is astonishing. Now wait, I want to hear Mr. Darcy's explanation for being at this wedding. Well, Elizabeth is burning with curiosity. And we know Elizabeth never can rest with a secret. Oh, no. She quickly writes to her Aunt Gardner and says, you have to tell me everything about this. And her Aunt Gardner responds with a letter that sets Elizabeth's heart aflutter. Pat, what was Mr. Darcy's involvement with this wedding? It was Mr. Darcy who found them in London, and it was Mr. Darcy who put up the money to get them married. Elizabeth is staggered. To her, it says that he has completely forgiven her for rejecting his proposal and that he may still love her. Jennifer, does he still love her? Well, we don't know. Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy return to Netherfield, and they actually pay a few visits to the Longbourn estate. 
And one day while there, Mrs. Bennett manages to maneuver Mr. Bingley and Jane alone together. She's a good maneuverer, that <laughs> She's Mrs. <wonderful>. Bennett. <laughs> and Mr. Bingley finally proposes to Jane. So, of course, the mother is in ecstasy. In the meantime, Elizabeth seizes the opportunity to thank Darcy for having come to the rescue of the family, basically. And this prompts Mr. Darcy to repeat his proposal. Which is accepted. So Mr. Darcy does love Elizabeth, and Elizabeth does love Mr. Darcy. Yes. Yes. And essentially, that's our story of Pride and Prejudice. They do live happily ever after. Yes. Elizabeth is with Mr. Darcy. Jane is with Mr. Bingley. Lydia and Wickham, as far as we know, have a good relationship. And even Mr. Collins is happily married. And Mrs. Bennett is three for five. Not bad. All right, Jennifer and Pat, with the time we have left in our segment here, what I really want to do is touch on some moments we didn't have a chance to talk about or perhaps read some quotes that you really like that we haven't had a chance to get to. Pat, do you have a line? There's a conversation between Jane and Elizabeth, and Jane's comment is, it's very often nothing but our own vanity that deceives us. Women fancy admiration means more than it does. And Elizabeth says, and men take care that they should. (laughs) I like it when Mr. Darcy walks up to Elizabeth at Lady Catherine's house, and she says, you mean to frighten me, Mr. Darcy, by coming in all this state to hear me. But I will not be alarmed. My courage always rises with every attempt to intimidate me. That's good because it really does. That is good. Another example of her pride. I have one here that I want to read. It's actually in the letter that Mr. Bennett writes to Mr. Collins after Elizabeth has accepted Mr. Darcy's hand. And, of course, we have to remember that Mr. Collins is very enamored of Lady Catherine de Bourgh, his boss. And as an employee, of course, he always wants to impress her and do what he thinks she would want done. But this is what Mr. Bennett says to Mr. Collins. Dear sir, I must trouble you once more for congratulations. Elizabeth will soon be the wife of Mr. Darcy. Console Lady Catherine as well as you can. But if I were you, I would stand by the nephew. He has more to give. (laughs) He certainly does. (laughs) I like one of Mr. Bennett's lines, too. He says, For what do we live but to make sport for our neighbors and laugh at them in our turn? (laughs) I have a line here about the early Mr. Darcy before we come to know him as the gallant that he is. This is him thinking on Elizabeth early on in the novel. Darcy had never been so bewitched by any woman as he was by her. He really believed that were it not for the inferiority of her connections, he should be in some danger. Yes, you can see why I didn't like him very much the first time I read the book. I can see that. Jennifer, how about one more, and then we're going to need to take our final break. Well, Mr. Collins wrote a letter to Mr. Bennett after hearing about Lydia and Wickham running off together. The death of your daughter would have been a blessing in comparison of this, and he goes on to tell Mr. Bennett that he understands that this consideration leads me, moreover, to reflect with augmented satisfaction on a certain event of last November. For had it been otherwise, I must have been involved in all your sorrow and disgrace. That's so right. he's crowing over the fact that he escaped this. Twice. By not marrying either of the Bennett girls. And Pat, you have a quote of Mr. Collins from another letter. Yes, after Lydia and Wickham are married, he sends another letter to Mr. Bennett. And he finishes by saying, You ought certainly to forgive them as a Christian, but never to admit them in your sight or allow their names to be mentioned in your hearing. So forgive them, but forget them. That's right. <laughs> well, I think on that line, we'll end our conversation today on the novel Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. But before we leave, I want to thank again my readers, Jennifer Weinbrecht and Pat Fernberg. Thank you, Frank. It was fun. Frank, this was great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and today I had a conversation about the novel Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Joining me now for our End Notes discussion on today's novel is author and researcher Ted Schwartz. Ted, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Ted. Okay, Ted, first question about Pride and Prejudice. This book was published in 1813, two years after Sense and Sensibility. Was Jane Austen that fast a writer? 
Yes and no. She was a writer who wrote a lot, but she was a serious writer. So she constantly was polishing her work, and books that had been started early might be published later. Pride and Prejudice was started before Sense and Sensibility, but it had not been polished, hadn't been worked through. So Sense and Sensibility was ready for the market first. In fact, I think she tried to publish this book in the late 1790s, but at that time she was calling it First Impressions, not Pride and Prejudice. And she didn't try and publish it. Her father did. It was not taken seriously. It wasn't read by the publisher he approached because he thought this was a man doting on his daughter. When Jane Austen began to present her own work, it was taken seriously enough to be read. And when it was read, it was taken. In that interim, it was rewritten and it had the name changed. So then by the time she was 32, 33 years old, Jane Austen had already had two books published. That's a pretty good accomplishment for a young lady at that time. It's a pretty good accomplishment for anyone trying to write. But then, as an accomplishment was defined for a lady, writing was not. What was an accomplishment back then for a lady? A lady was to have learned to sing, often adequately, often not, to play a musical instrument, usually a piano, pianoforte. She was to learn the right languages. She was to have learned how to, say, sew and knit. And these were things not for domestic work or earning money. These were accomplishments that proved she was ready for marriage. After marriage, some women maintained it, some did not. But writing was not something anyone looked upon as being meaningful. So in 1813, Jane Austen was not considered an accomplished woman. Not by any means. She did sing, she did play the piano, but that was about it. Ted, last question. How much of this novel is autobiographical? How much of this is Jane Austen's life? None. What you have to understand is Jane lived with an extended family her entire life. Jane Austen was one of eight children, one of two girls in the family. There were a lot of nieces and nephews. There was a large extended family, and she lived within that. She didn't go into the greater community. So her observations were of people she knew from day to day in various circumstances for under various stresses. And it was from that that she drew her characters. But these were so universal that when we read a Jane Austen novel today, we can pick out these people at work, at home, in our own extended families. And that's why we do pick up the Jane Austen novels even today. Yes. Absolutely. Ted, I want to thank you for bringing in your endnotes on today's novel conversation about the novel Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That ends today's novel conversation about the novel Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. I also want to thank our novel conversations readers, Jennifer Weinbrecht and Pat Fernberg. You've been listening to Novel Conversations. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. Until next time, I hope you find yourself in a novel conversation. Coming up on 5-Minute News... I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.